Ecclesia is a new church trying to live out the way of Jesus in Princeton, New Jersey. We pray this teaching invites you to love Jesus and people more deeply and to embrace the full life that Jesus offers each one of us. Grace and peace to you. 1 Peter 3, 1-7 Wives, in the same way, accept the authority of your husbands, so that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be won over without a word by their wives' conduct when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Do not adorn yourselves outwardly by braiding your hair and by wearing gold ornaments or fine clothing. Rather, let your adornment be the inner self with the lasting beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in God's sight. It was in this way long ago that the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by accepting the authority of their husbands. Thus Sarah obeyed Abraham and called him Lord. You have become her daughters as long as you do what is good and never let fears alarm you. Husbands, in the same way, show consideration for your wives in your life together, paying honor to the woman as the weaker sex, since they too are also heirs of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing may hinder your prayers. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Hello, my name is Ian, and I'm up here with my incredible wife, Courtney, who's also going to be sharing today. So I just want to give you a little bit of the framework for how today's going to work. Um, I thought that as I read, you know, women adorn yourselves, not with an outward beauty, but with a quiet and inward spirit. I was like, I'm definitely an expert on that. So I, I thought you guys probably needed to hear from me on that. Um, yeah, not quite. So I thought, you know, better to hear that from the perspective of somebody who is uh, sort of wrestled with what that means and maybe has been, has interacted with those verses in a different way than I have. But what I want to do is set the stage for what's going on here. Because culturally in 1 Peter, you know, we, we sort of take these verses in isolation and then we turn them into things that maybe they're not. And so I think there's something culturally going on here that, that invites the whole church into a rhythm of life and into a posture of life. And so that's kind of the direction that we want to go today. So just to give you an example of what I mean, sort of where these cultural clues begin to meet us. Joe, can you put that first picture up there? This is a picture of an emoji. Now, let's just do a little survey in here. For, for those of you who, who spend, you know, maybe your screen time report pops up and maybe it's, it's north of three hours a week, a day uh, on average. How many of you would say that you use over 100 emojis a, a, you know, a day? We'll say that. Over 100 a day? Oh, oh, yeah. Did I hear yeah? Can you raise your hand nice and proud? Yeah. All right. Thank you, Zechariah. Thank you so much. So much. Yes. So this is, what emoji is this? I, I don't even know if I say emoji, right? Or what is, is, is the singular form, is it emoji? I'm genuinely asking. I'm, this is, okay, no, thank you. No, thank you. Turns out, yeah. So in our culture, this, this means fire. Has anybody ever used fire as an adjective? That was fire. Yes, yes, you have, because you're all under 30 years old. That's right. Now, and some of you north of 30, and you're feeling some sense of shame, well, You've done it. Now, in our culture, 
this means something. It's a symbol that has a greater significance. And if somebody were to say, that was fire, it would be a good thing. You know, not like that was a dumpster fire, but that was fire. That was so good, right? And it's amazing to me that in our culture, all of our advances of modern technology, advances in thought and philosophy, what have we done? We've gone back to speaking in hieroglyphics, right? So there like used to be stuff on a cave, like just pictures, and that's essentially what we've turned our language into. Now, I say all this to bring us into a little bit of a cultural clue that's going on here. Peter is saying things that culturally would have signaled the people that were hearing them to pay attention. And so we're going to read instructions to wives, but the the thing that I want us to, to sort of rest in today is that even if you're not a husband or a wife this morning, I don't think this passage is just about what it means to live as a husband and a wife. I don't think this passage is about how you have a great marriage. I think this passage is about evangelism and justice. And so, friends, wherever you find yourself, whatever station of life you come into today, can I just invite you to see yourself in light of this story? So I want to set a little bit of the context, and I'm going to turn over to Courtney, and she's going to talk about uh, some of the verses that are in the middle. So Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 3. He says, wives, in the same way, accept the authority of your husbands, so that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be won over without a word by their wives' conduct. Now, there's a couple of things going on here. First of all, wives in this culture were expected to follow suit with their husbands. I'm going to put up a quote from Plutarch, who was a cultural writer, and he writes of the station of a wife, a woman ought not to make friends of her own, That's patriarchy. The gods are first and uh, the most important friends. Hence, it is becoming for a wife to worship and know only the gods that her husband believes in and to shut the door tight on all strange rituals and outlandish superstitions. What Plutarch is saying is that it was culturally expected that when a a woman married a, a man, that she would take on his gods, that she would follow suit with his religion, So Peter is doing something quite subversive here. He's saying to the women, even, and he's primarily talking to unbelieving husbands here, or to wives with unbelieving husbands, excuse me. And he's saying to them, look, you've found this way of Jesus. You've found that it's better than the other ways. Your husband may follow a different way, but here's how you are to interact with the situation that you find yourself in. You may have picked up that, that women, as far as society was concerned, were culturally very low on the ladder. And we see this. First Peter relates the status of women to that of slaves. He says, in the same way. But I want to show you what Peter is doing. If we trace back into First Peter chapter 2, we see these instructions to slaves. Joe, can you put those? Uh, this? Yes, thank you. Peter gives, and we talked a little bit about that last week. You can check out the podcast to get some more uh, information on that. So Peter has instructions to slaves. And then right in the middle of this section, he puts Jesus. And he gives the example of Jesus' suffering. He gives the example of the way that Jesus overcomes the world. is not by demanding his rights, 
Not by demanding what's his, but by giving of himself. He shows in a way that Jesus identifies with those who are the lowest as far as society is concerned. And friends, I, I want to show you how incredible this is, what Peter's doing. Peter is saying to those who cannot in any way impact their cultural status, this is not an upwardly mobile situation. He's saying to those, look, you're stuck in the situation that you are in. This is where you are now. If you're a slave, that's where you find yourself. If you're, if you're a wife to an unbelieving husband, that's where you are. But what he's saying is, is that Jesus's posture towards life. Jesus, the way that he lived his life is identified with yours. And for Peter, this is the highest honor, to be identified with Jesus. And we see that Jesus is placed right in the middle of the situation. So I want to say a couple things just for our modern ears. I am not equating being a wife with being a slave, anything like that. What I'm saying is that Peter is doing something profoundly countercultural, but he does it subversively. And we see this throughout the New Testament, is that instead of throwing out the cultural norms, instead of just taking a nuclear device to them, the New Testament will just subtly redirect them. This is a part of a household code. These were common uh, genres of literature in this culture, basically directing how a man should lead his house. But in this setting, what Peter is doing in addressing instructions to wives and to slaves is he's saying to them, you have agency, you have power, and you have a calling. And so friends, this morning, as we begin to hear the contextual clues, I want to just point this out to you because it's so important as we approach these verses. We begin to see that these verses are not just about what it means to be a wife, what it means to be a husband but they're about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so now I have the honor of turning over the next section of the scripture over to my lovely wife, who's going to lead us in uh, just a, a reflection of what this means for us now and what it means to live this out. So if you would, welcome Courtney. She is amazing. Well, good morning. Um, let me first off just say what an honor and privilege it is to be up here um, sharing today and speaking to you um, about women in front of an incredible group of women, might I say. Um, we have incredible men here too, but I wanted to give a special shout out to um, the women today. And what I'm, I'm going to do as I look through these verses um, in 1 Peter 3, you know, I'm really going to be focusing on verses 3 through 6, is just share a little bit of my story and a little bit of how I have been maybe unpacking some of these um, verses that I have heard time and time before, and maybe some other verses that I have heard time and time before, and, and how, the, how my unpacking has kind of changed um, my view of them as I've learned more about kind of the, the root words and, and how they were intended for me as a woman to be hearing them. And so I want to start off just by saying, you know, I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, talking about the buckle of the Bible belt. Um, I was in youth group ever since, you know, it started. Um, my parents, funny enough, um, went to a covenant church. I actually chose to go to a Baptist church just down the road, because that's Tulsa, and there's a church on every block, um, because all of my friends were going there. And 
As I've been growing up, you know, I've been coming, becoming more self-aware, um, more self-aware about, you know, how I interpret things. And I think especially as, you know, getting older, now feeling much more of a calling um, as we are here, um, you know, ministering, shepherding to this church, as we are, are raising young kids, young girls that are going to turn into women, I recognize how important our words are um, and how important how we're explaining what this means to them is. And, and I, I've recently been unpacking more some of these scriptures that were really important to me when I was in middle school and high school. And some of these words were, you know, you should be blameless. You should be pure. You should not complain. You know, these were the things that I, I told myself over and over. I, 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 they, I wrote them on my heart. I had them plastered on my mirror. Um, and some of those ways in which I interpreted them, I'm not saying that these were the ways in which they were taught to me, but how I interpreted them as a middle school or a high school student is, you know, never be wrong. Be kind by being quiet and not standing up for yourself. Do everything that is asked of you. Do not complain, especially if it's hard. And do not show you are struggling. Just do it. And this may mean something to you. It might not. I'm an Enneagram 3, so I think some of that just is a little bit more of my personality and how I am wired. But regardless, these are, these are the words in which I was hearing. And as I've been starting to unpack some of these scriptures, I think about how I am going to present them, how I am going to teach them to my, to my kids, to my girls, so that they might hear them a little bit differently today. So I kind of have all of this unpacking um, in light of these verses in 1 Peter 3 that I want to unpack with you guys today. So we're going to start, let's just go ahead and dive in. Um, 1 Peter 3, we're going to start in verses 3 and verses 4. It says, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Now, right off, this question of beauty, outward adornment, it's something that we as women, I think we talk about, we face a lot. You know, and one of the things that I love as I've gotten more familiar with these verses is that Peter is not condemning beauty here. You know, he's not saying that this is wrong. This thing that you are drawn to, your, your appearance, how you present yourself, it is not inherently wrong. It is not inherently sinful. For some of us, that brings us a great amount of joy. You know, what clothes we wear, makeup, you know, people, that is not inherently sinful. Sometimes it brings us great joy. What it can't do is we can't place that value, that joy, ahead of the value and the joy that we find in God. And more importantly, this verse is, is really being directed as a way to empower women to evangelize. It's saying that this is her witness. This is her evangelism. Not her outward beauty, but that of her inner beauty, her inner self. Her behavior, that is her witness, not how she looks on the outside. Um, you know, I, I am reminded of the verse in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 16, 7. It says, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at these things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 
So does our, our appearance, does it bring us more joy than Jesus does? You know, that's a good question for us. And Peter, again, we have to remember that Peter is addressing those with unbelieving husbands. We are, we are thinking of this from an evangelism aspect. You know, if we look again closely at verse 4, it says, Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. And there are so many good words that I think we should unpack there. Number one, unfading beauty. And then the one that has always caused me a lot of pause and question, this gentle and quiet spirit. So again, our inner self, it's our evangelistic tool, not our beauty. Okay, so let's start with unfading beauty. So it sounds like, you know, I think we're all kind of, for centuries now, been thinking about this fountain of youth, this unfading beauty. What is it? What is the best anti-aging cream out there? What is it? Well, it also uh, links back to First um, Peter 1.23. This word unfading, it can also be translated to imperishable. Um, and again, in 1 Peter verses 1.23, it says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. This fountain of youth, this regeneration, you know, all the anti-aging creams, they talk about regeneration of cells. It's what everyone is selling. Um, this regeneration comes from the result of hearing the word of the good news. That is our unfading beauty. You know, if only we could bottle that and sell it, right? Um, you know, it, it kind of reminds me of a story, and I'm going to go back again to Tulsa, Oklahoma. So I stayed there um, for college. I ended up going to a small Christian school um, in Oklahoma called Oral Roberts University. And I left there with so many um, wonderful memories. Uh, my faith was just completely transformed. I have so many good things to say about it. But there were also so many things that happened there that could only happen at a really small Christian school in Oklahoma. Um, number one being, we had a prayer tower that was the, the focal point, the center of campus. Um, and it was, you know, what it sounded like, a tower where people could go and pray. Um, and one of my best friends during college, she, um, she always had the best stories. And she worked at the prayer tower. And, um, you know, she would often come back to our dorm room and tell us of, you know, just these awesome experiences that she had where she got to really pray with people, um, people that were, you know, really in need of, of God's presence. And then she also had some other callers, like the one gentleman who called her one day asking if she could send her, send him prayer boots in size eight so that he can walk in the way of the Lord. Or the woman who called in asking for holy water. You know, so it's kind of like this, this unfading beauty, this anti-aging cream could fit right in there. Um, so there could really be a market for it if, if we really think about it. Um, but again, let's think about this inner beauty again. It's our evangelistic tool. I want to talk about gentle and quiet. I remember one of the first times we unpacked this was in a co-ed Bible study. And all the women were like, Gentle and quiet? No way. No thank you, right? Um, and sometimes, you know, Ian might wish I was a little bit more gentle or a little bit more quiet. Um, maybe. I don't know. Um, but how many of us women have read this text before and immediately we think weak or we think weakness? And, and you know, who wants to be called weak? 
there's that, there's that phrase, you know, we are women, hear us roar. We are not weak. That is what we are being told. So when we hear this, it causes pause. So let's think about what the word gentle means. So it's defined as having or showing a mild, kind, or tender temperament or character. And I think a, a gentle spirit does not mean being timid or displaying a weak disposition. And this descriptive character wasn't only intended for women. If we keep reading in 1 Peter, actually, in chapter 3, verse 15, we'll get there soon, um, it said he calls all his people to gentleness and respect. All his people. It's not just women. And in what I think can be seen as a compliment to women, Jesus himself identifies as gentle. The same Jesus who flipped over tables and chairs in the temple and the same Jesus who called people hypocrites. He is gentle. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. In the third beatitude, Jesus commends this attribute. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Meek means quiet, gentle, submissive. They will inherit the earth. You know, I think a gentle spirit is a Christ-like spirit, and therefore it's valuable to God. God also desires a quiet spirit. You know, and this word is only used one other time in the New Testament in 1 Timothy 2, um, which I'm sure we'll have the opportunity to unpack at some point. Um, it's also used a handful of times in the Old Testament, which Peter is also, also seen referencing the Old Testament many times. And this might, this might be what he's referencing here. It comes from Isaiah 66, 2, and it says, These are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. So maybe these definitions of quiet and gentle, I hope, they're, I hope they are meaning something, but maybe they're not. So I think it's important for us to think about whose favor are we looking for? Are we looking for this, this favor of the world who says that we are strong and we can do it all? Or are we looking for the favor of God? Are we looking for the world's or for God's? You know, Jesus is, is again, described as gentle. He describes himself as gentle. God's favor is gentle and quiet. These things are precious in his sight, and they are not weak. Women... We are precious in his sight. We are evangelists. So let's keep going. I love verses 5 and 6. Um, it says, For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. You know, I think Sarah is an incredible figure for us to look at here. Um, in Jewish tradition, Sarah is seen as a virtuous woman. And virtuous women are understood to be obedient to their husbands. You know, and in this case of Abraham and Sarah, Abraham was the greater status in their culture. And Sarah acknowledged that in how she addressed her husband. She is showing respect for Abraham's societal role just as Hagar showed Sarah respect by honoring her higher position. 
Sarah showed respect when she obeyed Abraham. And this certainly doesn't mean that she thought her husband was always right. He wasn't. I mean, I think women, we can agree with that sentiment, right? And that she always did what her husband wanted. You know, she didn't. The point again here is that she respected Abraham's position in society. Not that she, not that she did every single thing that, that he said or agreed with every single thought that he had. Rather than see Sarah as weak, we are to see her as strong and faithful enough to keep peace with her husband and most importantly, submit to God. You hear it said quite frequently, we are sons and daughters of Abraham. But you know what that also means? That we are daughters and we are sons of Sarah. And you know what daughters of Sarah are known for? Verse 6, it says, not giving way to fear. We, as daughters of Sarah, we are fearless. And that might be one of my favorite takeaways from this passage, is fearlessness. Submitted to our husbands to bear witness to God's truth and grace is not a sign of weakness, but of fearlessness. Proverbs 31.25 says, She is clothed in strength and dignity, and she laughs without fear of the future. You know, and as I think back on much of my personal reflection, as we've been studying 1 Peter um, here on our time on Sundays and also in our community groups, I think one picture has really struck me as we've been going through this text. And it really started for me in 1 Peter 2, um, when Peter's describing building a, a spiritual house, which kind of painted this picture for me. And it says, that it can be thought about, you know, for me, it, it was kind of thought about in a couple different frameworks. The first one was that we're building our personal spiritual house. The second was that we're building our familial spiritual house. And the third one is that we're building our community spiritual house. You know, and I think about this, this kind of framework often as I'm continuing to grow and as our children continue to grow and as our church continues to grow, you know, just as when Peter was building the church, he was laying that cornerstone. He was, he was building these spiritual houses. The words, there, there were certain words that he spoke over these people, and they just struck me one night. And it says, but you are a chosen people. This is from um, 1 Peter 2, verse 9. It says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. I just think about those words so poignantly as we think about speaking them over ourselves today, over ourselves as men, women, husbands, wives, over ourselves as kids, over our children. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. You know, I think a lot, um, one of the values that we have here is actually that words create worlds. Um, and it's, it's one of my favorite things. Ian and I have been, you know, talking about that and, and speaking about that for years now. Um, the other side of that that I think can often be let out, left out is words create worlds, but they also have the potential to burn whole forests down. Our words are so important. What are the words that we're speaking over ourselves as women, as wives? Are we weak? Are we gentle? 
Are we strong? Are we submissive? Do we obey? What do these words mean? What are we speaking over ourselves? I think so much now about the words that I speak over, especially my children, my daughters, their futures, speaking into our futures, my futures. Are we recognizing that we as wives, as women, as men, as husbands, as, as daughters and sons, we are God's chosen people, his special possessions. We are fearless and we are evangelists. That is our calling. As Ian said earlier, we have agency, we have power. So I just want to leave here today. I hope that if, if you take nothing from um, today, just our call is evangelism. Our call, we have power. And for, most importantly for me today, I think just we are fearless. And fearless just comes from submitting and listening to God. So. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much. And so what I want to do is just address this last verse in this section and then kind of draw us in. Because for so many of us, like you're, you're, you're listening husbands and wives, you're like, well, that's not my life right now. And so what I want to do is see how Peter is addressing the whole of the church. But first in verse 7, he says, Husbands, in the same way, and again, that phrase is so powerful, in the same way as your wives, in the same way as Jesus, in the same way as those considered lowest in society, in the same way, show consideration for your wives in your life together, paying honor, honor, come on, to the woman uh, as the weaker sex. Okay. Now, we've just seen that Peter doesn't think anything about, like, some inherent weakness in women. But what we've seen is that culturally in this society, women just did not have the privilege and the status that men do. Okay? And that's all that Peter is saying there. Okay? Peter is not saying there's some inherent flaw in women. Very important for us to hear. But Peter is turning to the husbands, and he says, listen. He says, pay consideration and honor to your wife. That word consideration is the word gnosis. It is the word translated in the Greek for knowledge. The, the Bible's sense of knowledge is not just that you kind of have a cognitive understanding of what's going on, but that you have this experiential, from the inside, understanding. And so here's what Peter is saying to the husbands. Wives in this culture are considered of lesser status and value. But your call as a husband is to identify your life with hers, is to look at the world through her eyes and to experience the world through what it would mean to be a lesser, uh, lesser esteemed person in this culture. And so husbands today, I'm going to address husbands as Peter does, and then I'm going to bring in the whole church. If you're a husband in here today, our culture has shifted. It has changed. But the call is the same. What does it mean for us? And I, I honestly and personally, as I, I, sort, of, I sort of meditated on this passage this week, it was, it was convicting. How often do I consider what it means to, to live in my wife's shoes, what it means to live in the world as she experiences it? And what Peter says is that this brings about honor. This brings about a sense of laying down our lives. And so, husbands, this is our call. And Peter, he, he doesn't spend a lot of time on the men in the congregation. I don't know if he's just saying, men, you can really only handle one instruction, so here it is. But he's calling us to this kind of faithfulness. 
And I know if, if you're like me, maybe today, you, you have some repenting to do and just saying, I need, to, I need to meditate more on this verse and allow it to, to breathe more life into my life. But now, I want to bring in the whole church. Courtney did such a beautiful job of talking about how this, uh, these um, statements that were addressed towards the wives in this passage were addressed towards women who were married to unbelieving husbands. And maybe for some of you in here today, that is your reality. And he's saying, look, you have a call to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ in that relationship. And friends, whether you're married or whether you're in a close relationship, we all know like sometimes the hardest people to show the beauty of Jesus to are those closest to us. Whether it's our family or our friends or our spouse, like that's a really hard thing. But Peter's saying, this is the agency, this is the call upon your life to show the beauty of Jesus. And you do that through quiet and gentle spirit. And I, I just want to say like how this relates to the church at large. You know, later Peter says, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have, but do so with all gentleness and respect. And so as we bring this call up to what it means for us to be ecclesia, what it means for us to be a church in a culture that, that doesn't really understand what spirituality, doesn't understand what it means to follow Jesus, is that we don't pursue like the flashiest, best-looking things. We don't try to promote, oh, this, this would be super relevant and super cool. What we try to be is a people who have cultivated a deep life with Jesus, a quiet and a gentle spirit that rests in his faithfulness, rests in what he's done. And we let that be our witness to the world, our acts of service, our acts of embracing and reaching out to those who think they are far from God. This is the call that Peter has for the entire church, is to be a witness, but not to be a witness in the ways that the world would say are important, but to lower ourselves to, to find those who are lower esteemed in our culture and identify our lives with them. And this is where we move to the instructions to the husbands. Peter uses this husband and wife relationship to say, look, husbands, you're married to somebody in your house who in this culture is seen as of lesser value. Identify your lives with them. And Ecclesia, I have this question for you today and for us. Who are the people who are the forgotten in our culture? Who are those that are left alone and left to the side? Who are those that, that, that think that they are somehow left behind in our culture? What Peter's saying, what he says to the husbands as we draw this out to be, to be our call as a people, these are the people we are to seek out and to be in solidarity with. These are the people we are to identify our lives with. The loner, the refugee, and many times in our culture, unfortunately, it's, it's people that are single, people that don't fit into a family situation. Who are the people that have not been recognized for what God is doing in their life? The, Peter's call to husbands is our call this morning. And so as we said at the beginning, this passage is not so much about how you have a great marriage in Christ. This passage is a call to individuals and to the church to be people of evangelism and people of justice. And we see that just as Jesus, and that he's sort of the example in the same way Peter keeps saying, Jesus did not see his equality with God, as Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, as something to be held onto. But instead he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, 
dying on a cross. And as Jesus gives his life, he gives us the power to give of ourselves. And this morning, whether it be about a relationship, a one-to-one relationship, a husband and wife relationship, or a relationship between you and a friend or a parent and a child, whatever sort of individual relationships, or whether it be the whole scale of what it means to live in a community, this is what Jesus is calling us to. Will we? Will we see those who are forgotten in our culture? Will we go to them? Will we empty our lives and our, ourselves and our resources on their behalf? Will we lower our status, whatever that may be, in order to identify our lives with those who are seen as less than in our culture, in order that we might show the beauty of who Jesus is? And Ecclesia, this is our call this morning. Our call is to be a people who are always looking for the forgotten, always looking for those left behind and to go with the beauty of Jesus and to say this is what the kingdom looks like. The kingdom comes to those who are lower on the rung. So Peter has instructions for slaves. He has instructions for wives. And he says, in this way, you live out the example of Jesus Christ. So this morning, we're met with this call. And I'm just going to pray over us as a people. I'm going to lead us into a time of response. Jesus, you are calling us. God, you're calling us in the individual relationships, Lord. And I I just, I, I want to pray as a church, God. God, that where we have not honored and lifted up those closest to us, God, would you forgive us? God, would you, would you bring about repentance, Lord? Would you, would you help us? God, to embrace your call to live our lives on behalf of others. And that others is not just some unnamed population that's far from here, God. Often those others are the people closest to us. Lord, would you help us to be a people through the power of your Spirit who live with gentleness and a quiet sense of steadfastness in serving those around us. And Jesus, as we do that, as we do that in our homes, as we do that in our relationships, God, Lord, would you lift up our eyes? God, would you give us a heart for evangelism? The fulcrum that this passage turns on is that people might come to know you, God. And we, the fulcrum that we, we planted this church upon is an invitation to come see how beautiful this story of God is. God, would we long for that? God, in the, in the places and the relationships you've placed us in, would we long for a sense of people coming to know you? God, would we think about the person in our life who's the least likely to sit at your table? And would we just begin to pray for them in gentleness and in quiet, God, embracing the way that you draw people towards yourself, God, slowly, patiently, yet relentlessly, Jesus. And God, would you make us a people who as a community, we embrace what it means to identify our lives with the exile and the outsider. We echo the words of Isaiah. As as the Lord speaks, he says, though I am high and lofty, though I am lifted up, I identify with the poor and the lowly. And Jesus, as we hear these instructions given to husbands, God, would we embrace them as the whole church, woman and man, daughters and sons of Sarah, 
God, would we say that this is our call, this is our heritage, Lord, to live our lives on behalf of those who are esteemed less in our culture. And God, we ask and we pray all of these things in your beautiful and holy name. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.ecclesianj.com.